Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Think I can take the pain. Stay now, stay now. Will you stay another? Stay now, stay now. Stay another. Stay another. Oh, I thought it was stay now. Oh, don't leave me alone like this. Okay, I'll be led by you. Just say it's the final kiss. Stay now. Won't you stay another day? Stay now, stay now. Stay another. Stay another. <laughs> I can't get it. We can't, we can't do this. We're the wrong fucking words. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We've written our own song. It goes a little something <laughs> like this. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Emma, <laughs> You're crying. <laughs> You crying? Or will be soon. Chelsea announced on Saturday that Hayes will be stepping down at the end of the season after a short 11-year reign in charge of Chelsea, winning every domestic honour available. We ask what next for Hayes, Chelsea and the WSL as a whole and speak to one of the journalists who broke the story, Jeff Kasuf. Plus, we'll try and find some time to squeeze in a word on Arsenal versus Man City and Bristol City's first win of the season. Before we get into the big news, Rach, we like to start with something a bit spicy. What was your big moment of the weekend? There were several. You can't mention Hayes. Can I pick one that's not on the pitch? This is slightly different. Yes, of course you can. So I'm a fair person. I had to get up uh, very early for an Amazon delivery the other day. And, Good story, bro. Yep. Stumbled down the stairs, opened the door, and the guy was like, I need the code. And it was something Sophie delivered. I had to call Sophie. I'm like, get in the pot. I'm so pain in the arse. And eventually I get there. He hands me the parcel. I was like, thanks so much. And he goes, I'll fuck off now. And I was like, excuse me? I just started laughing. I was like, Okay, I didn't think I'd look that sleepy and grumpy, but <laughs> fair enough. Close the door, look down, realise I'm wearing my Mary Earps, 
fuck off shirt. So he'd obviously seen that, made the joke about fucking off. And then what does Mary Earps do against Brighton? Nice. (laughs) Saves the ball and does a big fuck off to the camera. (laughs) So good. It just made a full circle of that famous Mary Earps incident. Are you sure that he saw your (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt? Otherwise, I obviously looked really grumpy, but I was very polite, so I'd like to think it was okay, my T-shirt. Right. Do you get Amazon ratings? <laughs> um, my moment of I've got two moments of the of the weekend. Because you break the rules, yeah. Obviously, uh, my moment of the weekend is the Kiara Keating foul on the cast <laughs> in the penalty area. Uh, it wasn't intentional. The sun was in her eyes. Uh, she obviously swung at the ball, completely missed it, took the cast out, and it was a pen. Kim Lissell steps up. You're thinking, God, it's a it's a done deal. It's a done deal. Send them all. Seventeen out of twenty one or something. Yeah, yeah. I can go and make myself a cup of tea and just come back to a 1-0 scoreline. Anyway, Keaton, full stretch, left bottom hand corner, it tips it onto the post and it's away. But I think it was just the, the moment of resilience for Keaton that I really loved. It was the, yep, you've had a fuck up, but yes, you've also produced an, insta- an outstanding state. She'll need to draw on that resilience again, I think. My second weird non-football related moment of the sort of weekend slash, if we sort of move into today, was literally coming back from King's Cross to find a subway van outside the station with Barry from EastEnders belting I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. And you were wondering what song we should sing to start the pod with. <laughs> you are... I mean... My fire. I felt like I was high. It was just one of those moments I was just like, is this real life? Is like that this kind of vibe. Real life? Oh my God, it's a whole musical episode, Chloe. Okay. Uh, can we do a musical episode? Can you send us your suggestions for songs to start the pod? They've got to be football related, uh, puns included. Happy to take those on board as well. Um, right, let's get stuck in. It's a dark day for women's football when one of the absolute icons, the legends of the game, uh, announces that she will no longer be with Chelsea or the WSL. So she won't even remain in the UK. She won't even grace us with her presence on British soil. It's like the worst kind of divorce. It's horrible. It makes me, I wasn't expecting that news. Were you? It's like a divorce and they've taken the house and the kids and the dog. And left you with nothing. An old rented A hole in your heart. Yes. (laughs) A subway van. And the hamster. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Big, big, big news. Um, it's funny because at the end of last season, me and Sophie had a chat about because just the way some of uh, Emma Hayes's post-match, like end-of-season comments and stuff, you're a bit like, she was very reflective. Mm-hmm. And I think having gone through a lot, particularly in the last couple of weeks, perhaps it's not a huge surprise. But I do think the timing of it was so out of the blue. Um, I mean, it was that. I mean, the news broke after Chelsea 6-0 win over Aston Villa. It was a moment of elation. Obviously, I think people were probably... Do you want to hear my conspiracy theory? Does it involve aliens? No. It it involves Emma Hayes and Carla Ward being good friends. And I reckon Emma was like, do you know what? Just absolutely battered Aston Villa. Let's take the heat off Carla. Hello, did you know I'm stepping down from Chelsea? Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Great take. That's my Great conspiracy take. theory. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not true, by the way. <laughs> Heard it here first. Fake news. Um, I mean, Hayes has been in charge in Chelsea since 2012. When you kind of look at the history that she's created, not just from being an icon, an advocate, uh, you know, a person you can go to for a really epic opinion on things like the Spain situation or things like VAR situation or pitches. Like she is so outspoken on all these topics that are so important. But she's also won six WSL titles, five FA Cups and two League Cups in that time and reached the final of the Champions League in 2021, which is a moment she probably wants to forget. But the Champions League has obviously eluded her. 
there is one last season to kind of get that done before she leaves. Um, I mean, Chelsea's statement said that she's going to pursue a new opportunity outside the WSL and club football. And then obviously there were big <clears throat> reports, we know what that is. big old hints and winks and nudges going on uh, that the US women's national team was set to hire Emma Hayes. And I don't think anyone had really put two and two together because obviously everyone was saying, oh, you know, who's going to become you know the new US women's national team? I don't think... Emma Hayes was on the list when we originally started well, they, looking didn't at they, they announced a short list of three people, or at least like the media had. Imagine being on that list and be like, yeah, I have a 33.3% chance of getting the USA job. I'm like, oh no, sorry, I actually want Emma Hayes. She wasn't even on the list. We're taking her. Well, do you not think like literally last week we were saying, oh, who could be taking it? Maybe it's going to be old Tony. What a well-kept secret. <laughs> I mean, if it's not more proof that the more you feel like you are an expert, you then go backwards a step the next week, it's, it, it's madness. Listen, um, it doesn't happen that often that secrets of this magnitude are well-kept. And the, the other one I can think of is Lucy Bronze to Barcelona. Mm. I think that no one really expected that when it when it happened as well. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there'd all be, always been like little murmurings about players and stuff. But when something like that happens, and because let's be real, a lot of the time working in the media, you kind of know stuff happens before it breaks and or the stories are being written or whatever. There was not a sniff of this. Well, a man who is in the know and a massive friend of the pod, Jeff Kasouf, who was one of the first journalists to break the story for Equaliser Soccer. We've got him on the pod. We've got the main man on the pod to discuss the story. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, appreciate you're an incredibly busy man at the moment, given the uh, the news that broke over the weekend. Um, can you sort of start by giving us the, the latest hot update on what's been happening with Hayes and the US Women's National Team? Yeah, I think we're waiting for the official confirmation, right? And that's just coming, I think, you know, working through some of those final details. I, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't know if US soccer was necessarily ready for the news to break when it did, but I think when you look at, you know, Chelsea's announcement that was pretty specific that she's leaving the club, leaving for outside club opportunities and the WSL, um, you know, that obviously pushed things quite a bit quicker. Um, so, yeah, we're waiting for the official word. It is happening, though. And I think it's, you know, it's an exciting time for, for the U.S. women's national team. I think there's a lot of optimism around this hire. Uh, last week, we discussed three front runners for the role, um, none of which were Emma Hayes. So how long has this been in the offing? Yeah, I mean, look, she's been the top choice for a bit now. I think that uh, U.S. soccer and, and probably Emma and Chelsea were, were probably quite happy that that didn't get out. But, you know, she was the top candidate for, for a while now. And, you know, I think that you, there's there's obvious reasons why, right? I mean, look what she's done with Chelsea. She's, she's great tactically. She's a great people manager. I think, you know, I've heard this. I believe this. I've heard it from a lot of other people. I think best available hire. And, you know, U.S. soccer went out and and got her, which I think is credit to sporting director Matt Crocker. I think there was skepticism about the process and, and what it might yield, who it might yield and how it would look. But, you know, she's best available candidate. And they went out and, and they made it worth her while. Right. Uh, I think everything I've been told is this is a, a seven figure annual salary. It could be comparable, if not the same as the men's coach, which is is new ground. I mean, very new ground compared to what it used to be for for the pay for the women's national team coach. So, um, yeah, she's been she's been the target just quietly. And what's the reaction been like in the US? I think because I, I think you know over here we're, mourning. we're, we're in all, mourning. It's a national day of mourning. Um, yeah, we're all really upset. We were all incredibly shocked, incredibly saddened, but also appreciate you know this is a role that you know it feels like a different step, a different challenge for her. But yeah, what what are the US thinking? I'm 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 yeah, is it kind of like a 
a big celebration over there. There are banners and flags and, you know. <laughs> maybe maybe when she arrives in person. Um, but I think, you, you know, the fact that there's the, this mourning feeling in England and, and at Chelsea specifically, I'm sure, is, you know, I think, I think indicates how good of a hire it is for U.S. soccer, right? That there's so much uh, feeling around the, I mean, obviously she, you know, what she built at Chelsea, that that's very personal in a way. I mean, she was, she's deeply connected to the rise of that team. So, uh, yeah, but I think over here, I mean, like I said, I think it's, it's optimism and, and that is, uh, there's a lot of pessimism over here. I mean, maybe, maybe that can, is relatable to, to England uh, as well in some ways and, and coaching hires and just where the team is at. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. It was a horrible world cup for the U S a lot of questions that that begged about what the future looks like for the program, for the player pool. And, you know, that that really led to a lot of questions about who was going to come in, who would be the right fit to manage all that short and long term. And obviously, we'll see what happens. There was optimism around Vlakonanovsky being hired. Obviously, it didn't pan out as a 2023 World Cup, ultimately, four years later. But, um, you know, I think that people are excited about this overall. And, and that's that's new. That that hasn't been felt in in a while, certainly from a U.S. fan perspective, men's and women's. Obviously, we know what Emma Hayes has done here, her accolades over here, what she's won over here. But she does, of course, have history in the U.S., probably most notably her time at Chicago Red Stars. She was then technical director at Western New York Flash. Do you think that played a part at all, kind of knowing what the setup and what how, how important sport is and how you guys kind of that culture around sport is in the U.S.? Do you think that played a part? Well, I think her U.S. experience, I mean, she's always talked about the U.S. And, and I think you can look at that Chicago Red Star stint 2009-2010. Probably, I, I think she'd say that she might have said it already, that that's her greatest failure. And But that also shaped her, right? I mean, that was within two years, she becomes head coach of Chelsea from there. And so I think that you look at, I mean, she, she basically got her coaching start in the U.S. at a, at a very low level with an amateur team. Iona is a small college, not far from me. It's it's not a huge college that she started coaching there, but then make that jump to the Chicago Red Stars. Doesn't go well. New league. Um, so I think that she learned a lot in the U.S. She's always stayed tied to it. She's She's been over here for even on a media side, working with ESPN, and, and she knows the player pool. I think she knows – I think she's that right mix of she knows the American mentality. She knows the American – player pool, including its weaknesses. She's talked about that. And then she comes enough removed and from the outside that she can, you know, then try to put her stamp on it. And, and this becomes the question is how much leeway does she have? How much support does she have? Because she, you hire Emma Hayes because she's a great coach. And also because she's the person to come in and say, this is everything that's wrong. And this is what I'm going to do about it. Um, now, when she says that, what is the reply? That you know, what is what is the backing? That's going to be the question for U.S. soccer. And this hire suggests that they're ready to say, "Yes, go do this. We trust you." But that has to actually happen now. I think. Um, I mean, you picked on a couple of points there, and sort of saying, you know, the, the situation that the U.S. women's national team is in is it's been a you know a, tur- a turbulent few years for the squad. Um, sort of you know amalgamating in the fact that you know didn't have a great showing at, at the World Cup this year. Expected to obviously do better. Um, you know, gone from a, a period of transition, bringing in a sort of lot, a lot of younger players uh, coming in and obviously overseeing a period of uh, some of the older players retiring, you know, some of the big greats. Um, yeah. Do we think, I mean, how challenging do you think the job is going to be? I mean, what, what kind of um, situation, I suppose, is Emma Hayes walking into and what's the kind of expectation there for her to sort of turn things around? Well, look, highest expectations in the world still, right? I mean, whether that's, you know, American arrogance or not, I mean, the bar is go win a World Cup. And, you know, frankly, it's going to 
potentially be go win a World Cup on home soil in 2027, right? I mean, I think you could subjectively, I guess, at the moment, because we don't know how it'll play out. We're still waiting for a host, right? But they seem like a favorite, at least commercially, for everything FIFA wants to do. So, you know, a home World Cup for, you know, for a team that will have players who, you know, are on the younger side, probably just went through a pretty poor World Cup in 2023. The pressure there is going to be immense. I mean, we talk about 99 a lot in this country. I think the pressure there might be even greater with the media attention that exists now that didn't back then. So, I think huge pressure that she's walking into. Um, I don't think she'll be scared of that. Uh, I think you know, you know Emma, and, and you know she wouldn't have taken this job if she were. Nobody would take this job if they were, right? But um, this is, yeah, I think you know it'll be interesting to see because Emma is is somebody that is largely celebrated because she's such a good coach. Now, what happens when those blips in the road come? Because they're going to come, and and the hope is, you know, if you're a U.S. fan or if you're a U.S. player coach, that they come in. 2025 and a patch of friendlies and not in 2027 right but i think that's going to be the big thing but she's got she's got a challenge on her hands that's the long term and even the short term is juggling both jobs until may while you know what does that look like we still don't know exactly and probably within that time frame has some really tough decisions to make on a personnel front for the olympics and you know those are probably easier face to face but we'll see how she has to manage those as well even in the immediate future here this has also raised a big question over here now, of course, is who is going to replace Emma Hayes? Mm. Um, and there has, of course, been talk of Casey Stoney. Her name has been floated. Um, and obviously, she's currently in charge of San Diego Wave. Do you think there's much in that rumor? Well, look, I think it's a legitimate shout in that she's a spectacular coach. We've seen it up front, up, up close here with San Diego. I mean, immediately, obviously, they lost over the weekend in the semifinal. And, and they, you know, they're still sort of figuring out how to be uh, an elite playoff team, I guess. And maybe, you know, playoffs are still a new thing to the franchise, to, to her even in the, in the format. But um, over the course of a full season, both years that they've existed as an expansion team last year, San Diego's played the most consistent identifiable brand of football for the most part. So, um, you know, that's a huge credit to Casey Stoney. I, I think it's legitimate to be bringing her name up for a big job like Chelsea. You know, I do think the personal side of that, which everybody has, I think we always forget, like we're talking about humans, right? So she just had a long process to try to get her family to California, right? And she's been talking about it's finally happening, the visas, finding a house. Is that a total non-starter to take a, a huge job that might not come along again? Maybe not, but, you know, there's a huge emotional toll to that. And then to suddenly reverse it, I think that could be the biggest factor of all. I mean, yes, maybe you say, okay, is the, I think the experience is there anyway, right? You saw what she did at Manchester United. You see what she's doing in San Diego. So I think if anything, that's probably the biggest factor is, you know, what does that look like personally? But I I think she's a, a very legitimate shout and should be in the conversation. It has been amazing speaking to the man of the hour, uh, Jeff Kasouf, on what's happening with the US and Emma Hayes. Um, I mean, Rach, from your perspective, do you think this seismic news is going to impact Chelsea? Do we think, actually, they've been on flying form for the start of the season. They're obviously stepping into their Champions League fixtures next week and just playing a you know, tiny team, Real Madrid, whatever. Um, do we think this is going to unsettle them? Um, I'd like to think that they'd use it as further a further catalyst for their season to say you know the one trophy missing from the cabinet for Emma Hayes 
is the Champions League. Let's do this for her. Let's do it for her. Um, I just think, yeah, it's going to give them fire in their belly. Um, I know it would have been a big shock to them. Uh, I think they would have found out around the same time we probably did, or obviously earlier, um, but not too much earlier. I think it was a very well-guarded secret. Um, so, yeah, I think there'll be a little bit of probably reflection, but also equally saying, right, this is what we want. We want her to go out on a high. We want to win everything this season. And it'll be a real kind of stamp on her legacy. I mean, she's already leaving a legacy. It's not like that's needed for mm-hmm. her to, to leave a legacy, but I think it actually will just add more fire. Okay, so you think actually Chelsea are going to step it up a gear rather than kind of... Do, I, th- I think it's going to be unsettling. When you've, got, when you've had someone at the helm for that period of time who's you know seen the, the growth and development of some of those players who have also been there for a number of years. I mean, there is a kind of family feel. Like the relationships he has with someone like Lauren James, for example, I think that could be a little bit unsettling because they have quite a close relationship and I think Lauren James is one of those players who's probably needed a bit more of a kind of like hand on the shoulder type vibe especially going through the injuries and things and you know what happened at the World Cup and stuff so I do think a lot of it is going to depend on who then takes over the helm and how quickly that news um, is sort of brought out by Chelsea or how quickly they find someone because I think you need that sense of okay Emma Hayes is leaving but also we've got this incredible candidate and it sort of steadies the ship a bit so I think in a way I think it depends on Chelsea's next steps but yeah, I think it's going to take them a while to find a replacement as well. Um, and I think it's important that, A, they have her until the end of the season because it allows them time to find a suitable alternative and potentially have Emma Hayes help them find someone. You know, I'd say it's she'll play a big part in it as well. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's equally important for her to be able to have a long goodbye. Um, I think we've seen that from Chelsea in the past with players as well because that's not something you get a lot of the time in football, particularly as managers. You know, they're often they're sacked or they go at the end of a season. So to actually be able to allow fans and her to enjoy the rest of the season, um, I think is really important as well. I mean, the gravity of the news, the gravity of what this means for Chelsea, I mean, how do we think they're actually going to replace her? I mean, at the end of last season, some people were kind of tipping Carla Ward as the heir to the Emma Hayes throne. Do we still see that's happening? I mean... Um, I don't know. I think, look, I'm not sure she's necessarily the immediate replacement. Like, you know, especially given how the season's Well, gone. true, but should, depending on how Carla Ward gets on the season, should she no longer be at Aston Villa, I wouldn't be surprised to find her going to Chelsea as some sort of assistant coach. But I think Chelsea will want to get in another winner. I think that's going to be important for them. Um, you know, so if it's it's a bit like when international teams or federations are looking for a new coach. It's like, it says a lot mm-hmm. about your belief in the team when you bring in someone big and I think they're going to be looking for someone big because they are bloody big shoes to fill what about Joe Joe Montemuro that'll be funny coming from his Arsenal one stuff to... I've heard um, <laughs> feels like it's it, well, he was, it doesn't feel like a bad fit he was on the shortlist for um, the USA job and she usurped him um, so you know potentially there's there's big names out there there's international coaches out there as well who maybe want to make the move back into domestic football but I don't know I'm sure we'll start to hear names floating about as time goes on I think maybe it's a bit too soon I do love a cheeky transfer rumour kind of like I don't know like whispers whispers in the crowd type vibe Um, I mean we've obviously been talking about how negative the impact is probably probably potentially going to be for Chelsea but we've got an amazing question here from Lovable Scamp on Instagram could Hayes leaving actually be really good for the WSL as a whole by reducing Chelsea's dominance I mean we just had a brief discussion about this before we were kind of saying okay you've got to put it into the context of you know the WSL is now one of the most competitive leagues 
in the world. Um, but you can't get away from the fact that Chelsea have been completely dominating domestic football for quite a long time now. When you sort of look at you know the, the league title itself, they've either been first or second in the WSL since 2014. The FA Cup in the past 10 years, they've either been runners or winners of the FA Cup. Uh, the Conti Cup, they've either won or come second in the last four years. I mean, their presence at the top is huge. So uh, first of all, it's kind of, do we think the impact of Hayes leaving is going to affect Chelsea so much that they start to dip in form? And two, do we think that actually if they do start to do that, it opens up the doors for other people to start taking some silverware? I don't know. I don't really like that. It kind of almost implies that like everyone else is shit. <laughs> nice. And I think, you know, had she stayed, the league just continued to be getting more and more competitive. Um, you know, arguably we can't say that Chelsea are going to win every trophy this season because mm -hmm. you just don't know. It's getting tighter and closer and harder to call. Um, I think what she's done at Chelsea has forced a lot of teams to buck up their ideas um, and to invest more. I think in order to keep up with and compete with, um, it's it has forced other clubs. Not that other clubs aren't investing. You see, you know, there are other clubs with really impressive plans and, and you know, investment behind the women's teams. But, you know, it's put the pressure on. Um, and I think that pressure will maintain. It's not like these clubs are investing just because they want to beat Chelsea. Like, she's raised the bar, but these clubs want to maintain and push the bar because they want to their teams to be good, not just because of Chelsea, if you know what I mean. I'm not going to say that it would necessarily be really good for the WSL as a whole. I think her impact has been huge for the WSL as a whole. Mm. Um, but I think the league will continue to flourish without her. Um, but I think she's played a huge part in getting it to that point. Comprehensive. Thank you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, I was going to do my own segue, but Rachel's kindly stepped in to bring in the new section. Rach, over to you. As if there wasn't any other drama this weekend. And what are you referring to, Rach? What am I referring to? Touchline drama at Arsenal versus Manchester City. Right. Before we go any further, we have some very exciting news. Chloe Sullivan's upfront has been shortlisted for the bloody podcast of the year at the Football Supporters Association Awards. That's not a mouthful. That sounded really Australian. It's been influenced by our World Cup work. We have. It's still there. Uh, they're as big as it gets in the football podcasting world. So it's an absolute honour for us to get the nod. Thank you so much to all of you for listening and supporting us over the two and a half years that we've been making the pod. Please vote for us through the link in the show description and we'll try and bring it home for you. And obviously, we'll prepare our acceptance speeches. They'll be beautifully written, you know, very eloquent, as they always as they always are. Really. We're so good at podcasting that Rachel had come up with an excellent segue into the next section and then Chloe just let everybody forget about it. Yeah, absolutely. What was the next section again? Oh, goddamn. Go on, you do your, your role. It was Arsenal Man City, it was. wasn't it? What a dramatic game that was. Manchester City's unbeaten run is over after they lost 2-1 to Arsenal on Sunday. Right, 
we have to. We can't get away from the elephant in the room, can we? You know I love a just goalkeeper. Called, oh, I thought you were going to talk about Gareth Taylor. I was like, you can't call Gareth Taylor an elephant in the room. No, absolutely not. But he never forgets. Oh, see what I did there. Very good. Kiara Keating gifted Arsenal the late winner as part of an eventful afternoon for her. The first goal. It was it was Keating's poor clearance that led to the first one. Um, my take on it, when I because I always try and want to watch it back yes. in slow mo to mm-hmm. see if there's any kind of extenuating circumstances that is the reason for the lead up. And it, the ball was played back on a weaker left foot. The sun was directly in Man City's goal for the first half. Um, and despite it, yes, being a poor clearance, the 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 length of time between or the distance of t- the distance between the pass back and her actually clearing was quite small. She had to readjust her feet fairly quickly to get to almost the touchline. The clearance wasn't great, but Man City. Did not they didn't react to the poor clearance quickly at all? Yeah, I don't think the I wouldn't put too like everything at her door for the first goal. To be fair, absolutely, I think more happened then to ultimately lead to the goal. Yes, I'd agree. I think that's fair. Uh, minutes later, despite yeah. that being sort of not the best start to no. the game, uh, she then brought down Chloe Lacasse to give away a penalty. Again, had to look back over it. I was like, come on, find, find me some extenuating circumstances again. Um, she goes to swipe for the ball in the penalty area, misses it completely, takes out Lacasse. It's a clear penalty. She gets a yellow card. The sun again, I think, is in her. I don't think she means to do that at all. It doesn't look intentional. She no, does no, just no. clip her. Um, but then, like I said before, at the very top of the show, you're expecting Kim Little stepping up. You say, all day, absolutely all day. Then Ten, she pulls out this 12. audacious, mm. audacious save, tips onto the post. Man City, thankfully, are hot on the heels of, I think it's Steph Catley. Alana Kennedy. Oh, was it Kennedy? No, uh, was it Alana Kennedy who cleared? cleared it. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Steph, Ke- uh, Steph Catley uh, just on the left-hand side of the post who was just about to start it home. Kennedy's in there, clears it, and we're thinking, all right, happy days. Keaton, let's have a calm one from now, shall we? Hey, let's not do anything too spicy. Who steps up? Keaton. <laughs> Cheeky little ball over the top in the second half. Uh, McCabe's ball over the top, wasn't it? Um... Blackstein is kind of running onto it. You've got Keating, who starts in a great starting position, very high off her line, but where the ball was played, I think that's probably an appropriate distance. The the worst thing is she's not judged the bounce Mm. of the pitch at all. It's obviously gone, bounce just before her, instead of like, it's almost like softening the ball by coming closer to it on that bounce, she's then sort of like, stopped a little bit and gone to what she think I think she was trying to header it but also put a kind of um, very dodgy glove hand <laughs> very up. obvious hand <laughs> Um, which looked to me like, like a, a hand ball. Hand. Okay, um, good, not just me. No, no, not, not just you, uh, which obviously it's then bounced over her head, looks like a very silly guy. She's completely out of position and then Blackstinia then just slots it home. You can tell she's absolutely devastated by this. This game has not gone to plan and she has essentially lost her team the points. Like you can't really place... Man City could have done better, yes. but you can place quite a large responsibility on Keating for those mess ups. They happen. These errors have happened. We've seen them. Doesn't matter how good a goalkeeper you are, you can have these. And I'm sure, Chloe, you've had moments where rush of blood to the head, you think, I've got this sorted. You get halfway and go, Oh Christ, I have entirely misjudged this, but I can't go backwards now. I'm I'm here. I have to do something. Um, no, actually, Rachel. No, I never happened. No, I think uh, my no my record as a goalkeeper was it was fairly um, excellent. Yeah, I can't remember any really obvious errors. It's so weird because it's so different to the conversation we had outside when we were prepping for this pod. Bizarre. Mm. To be fair, Keaton's what happened to Keaton with that bounce over is slightly triggering in the same that it happened to me when I was at Spurs. It was a Spurs game against Durham with in, in the Championship, and the ball had completely bounced over. And to be fair, I did handball it, and I was sent off. 
And um, that was probably <laughs> <laughs> so she, she was inspired, <laughs> if anything. And I'm surprised actually she didn't get another booking given how many cards were handed out yeah. uh, in that game. But what I will say is... But who would have been called up? Sandy McIver. Because where was Ellie Roebuck? Not on the team sheet again. Well, quite. Um, but I was going to say, it does, look, it happens. And, you know, everyone got around her at the end. Even Manu Zinsberger came down. I'm sure she was like, I've done this plenty of times. Um, but look, it happens. You move on. Absolutely. Scratch it. Whatever. Next next game, put it to the back of your mind. Well, the best thing is about the Man City game is that Kiara Keating was sort of the headline news from the game. And then Gareth Taylor, manager, decided to step in. More like, a, you know, Carl Oh my God, that's totally what again, it was. Uh, and decided to take the limelight completely off of her, uh, which is great management, actually. Uh, so Gareth Taylor and Jonas Idevall had some heated clashes on the touchline. After the match, Taylor said, that is always the same with him because he is constantly at the fourth official. And I think... It is bullying. Obviously, this is quite a loaded word. It's not. A, it's not a throwaway comment. You can't throw words out like that without there having some kind of consequence and impact. Um, I mean, what was your take on this? Do you? I mean, Idaval's very heated. He's very animated. He's you know he's very expressive on the sideline. But do we think? Did did you see anything that sort of suggested that that you know what Taylor was saying was accurate? Well, it's hard to know when you're watching it on a screen. Like unless you're in the stands near the touchline. Um, Jonas Eidevel is animated on the touchline. He has been booked before. Mm-hmm. Um, so realistically, in the game we're watching, where the referee is handing out cards like sweets, I think had he crossed a line, there'd be no reason for the fourth official not to say to the referee, like, can you come over here and, and book this guy? Mm-hmm. So part of me is a bit like, did he cross the line if he didn't get booked? Um, it didn't sound great from Gareth Taylor because he was saying that he was protecting the referee. I mean, he was obviously, I imagine, going, I want to be in here too because I don't want him getting something for his team that he shouldn't be getting. That's, you know, the whole protection line was a bit funny. Um, And also, it just didn't sound great in an interview where he then proceeded to criticise the referees that apparently they never give them penalties. They always give them to everybody else. They never get penalties out of the fourth official, not see it, etc., etc. So, you know, to be protecting the refs out of one side of your mouth and then criticising them out of the other with comments like, we never get penalties, um, is just a bit, it's a generic kind of comment. It's not, you know, so it didn't sound great. Um, and it also, you know, had they won and mm-hmm. he'd come out and been like, Do you know what, I'm going to say something about this. Maybe it would have landed a bit better. Um, but yeah, always a tricky one. I'm sure that in like a match report that referees do afterwards and stuff. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Be interesting like to see. Sessions as yeah, well. yeah. Be interesting to see what comes of that. Um, but yeah, I know there's a lot of people don't like how animated Idaval is on the sideline. I mean, we saw some of that in the, like, the Champions League games, didn't we? It was just like the first goals and it was like... Yeah. It was wild. But you kind of want that. You want a bit of, you know... I like a passionate emotion. manager on the sideline, but equally, if it is, if it does transpire that he's um, getting too much in the fourth official's ear, then that's not good. But equally, the fourth official has the power to stop that from happening by just getting the ref to book him. Absolutely. Right, let's take a slight step back from that game, Dewey, because like... When you look at the sort of significance of that game, big head-to-head matchup, Man City had obviously gone unbeaten. Arsenal hadn't had the best start to the season. Do we think now that this result, them taking down the top of the table, Titan, is going to sort of kickstart them into... I feel like we said this after every Arsenal match. Is this is the this time the moment <laughs> where we kickstart their season? Um, <laughs> it should be. I mean, bloody hell, you're beating, you know, Man City, who had such a good start, such a good end to last season as well. Jonas Eidevall was a bit put out, though, that Arsenal were being kind of labelled the underdogs going into this fixture because <laughs> they have beaten Man City at home, like, the last three seasons. Um, so, fair enough. But, like, I'm sorry, you don't look at the start of your seasons 
or even the ending of Arsenal's season last season, didn't they lose um, their last game of the season? Um, so, you know, it was understandable that people were like, yeah, City look good, City look settled. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing well at the top of the table. You know, they pushed Chelsea very close to the win, extenuating circumstances, managed to still get a draw out of that. So it was, I think, pretty expected that you would think they were going to win it. And Arsenal didn't start well. Like It was all City. The goal that they got was against the run of play. It was something like 70% possession. But equally, Gareth Taylor coming out and saying they were ultimately like, it felt like they'd been robbed mm-hmm. is a bit dramatic when you had four shots on target and Arsenal had six. You know what I mean? And you had 61% possession. So that's on your team to be converting those chances that you're creating. 17 chances created, mm-hmm. which is, is good. But like if you're only putting four of them on target, that's not you being robbed. You know what I mean? So... There is an element of taking responsibility for that. We, you know, City are looking very good in possession. Um, they're f- like the Chloe Kelly is looking so sharp this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bunny Shaw coming so close as well. Um, you know, but the pulling shots wide, stuff like that. So just getting that little bit sharper, and you know, they could be putting games like this to bed early on. That's the thing. I still think that despite Arsenal getting the win, it wasn't the best of performances for. I don't this. I don't think this is a, a kickstart. It looks like a kickstart because of the win, the win. But I don't think it looks like a kickstart if you actually look at how the goals were. I mean, the, the chance is basically created by you know two big errors. I don't think there's enough in that game to suggest to me when you're only getting thirty nine percent of the possession and your your goals are reliant on the other side's errors that you really are in a different space now from how yeah. you were at the start of the season. Yeah. So, and I, But I have to say, I think, you know, only creating 10 shots from 39% and six of them on target is a better rate than what we've seen from Arsenal previously where they were in the kind of 20-odd figure uh, shots created and they only had less than 10 on target. You know what I mean? So that's improving. Um, but yeah, I think they're still looking pretty shaky at times. Um, and it's, it, I think City were getting through them far too easily. Agreed. And, and turning over the ball, Arsenal losing the ball too easily. Well, you kind of look at the next fixtures that Arsenal have got. So Arsenal have got Leicester uh, this weekend. After that, they take on Brighton. Manchester City have Brighton this weekend. And then they take on Manchester United in the big Old Trafford derby. So, I mean, it's good that Arsenal, I think, have a game, potentially the next game, to sort of build on that confidence to get those extra three well, points. Well, we said that are... about Bristol and that wasn't an easy game for them. Well, no. And not... I feel like Willie Kirk's going to have some tactical you know, surprise up his sleeve to take on Arsenal. Out of the two fixtures, though, the Arsenal-Leicester, I'd be expecting Arsenal to pick up the points. Man City-Brighton, given how Brighton performed this weekend, I'm not so sure. Um, Manchester United rescued a 2-2 draw with Brighton, thanks to Rachel Williams. Who else? Oh, my God. Who else? Like, honestly, if I was Brighton seeing Rachel Williams come on, I'd be like, fuck it, just give her the goal. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Just got to get it. We'll take the point. It's fine. <laughs> so she grabbed the equaliser in the 97th minute, what we call Fergie time. Um, and the game, sorry, the game had seven minutes of uh, injury time and we were playing into the 100th minute. Yes. What were they, they want another goal? Well, extra time has been rife throughout the last oh. five fixtures. It's pretty mental. Um, but I mean, Brighton impressed me so much. Um, I mean, let's just start. We had a 10 minute delay before the fixture started because the ambulance hadn't turned up at the game. I tell you what, I appreciated it because I got home in time. I got home bang on quarter two from my match to put my feet up and watch this one. So lovely. Thanks for that. Thanks for the shoddy logistical work of the (laughs) FA or the WSL and the ambulance not arriving on time. Um, Yeah, so we started 10 minutes late. That obviously put the the players, I think both of them were a little bit out of joint starting the game, were sort of walking onto the pitch in the tunnel and then were told they need to go back again. But... It seemed to work in Brighton's favour because the Seagulls were absolutely on it. And I think actually, 
No, that that well, first goal. Is that where you're going? Please, that first goal. Pray do tell. If you went to the dictionary and you looked up pressing, mm. that would be the definition. It was excellent. It was midfield were up pressing Manchester United under pressure, got the ball off them, won the ball back, got the beautiful peach of a ball into yeah. Turland, who is so good for Brighton. I think she's scored in all competitions. I think it's six goals in six games in all competitions. And she's not been playing full matches. Like she's been coming on uh, off the bench because she's being brought back to full fitness. She had a, a, a niggle, I think. She is so, her, the importance of her being fit for Brighton is so crucial because she's clinical in the box and mm-hmm. the take from the pass and the finish was absolutely brilliant. And I just thought, wow, I looked at that and was like, look at that pressing. That is so, so perfect. It was a thing of beauty. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Turland in sort of one of the top four clubs in the next couple of years because I think she's going to be snapped up. Bold. Unless Love that. Bryson make it to the top four, <laughs> which they could. Now they are sort of taking top four scalps. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got to agree. I think um, in the first 10 minutes, I mean, the, the stats were saying 82% possession Man United. And I was thinking, okay, it's going to, you know, still a great start from mm-hmm. Bryson. I don't think it was reflective of how well they were doing. And then there was a patch where they went for about three or four successive corners. Um couple of up saves, which, which were amazing. But yeah, the Turland goal came in the 29th minute from a Brighton press. Toon dispossessed. Oh, oh, yeah, but she made up for it. The goal she got back. Christ. I'm so pleased for her. She's needed that. She's needed a goal. I hope it helps her confidence. And it, it wasn't like some scrappy little toe poke. It was peach, like absolute top corner. Nothing Bagley in goal could do about that. And Bagley was immense oh my both God. goalkeepers but Bagley was immense it was a Bagley uh, showreel Again. of a game it was unreal and I feel I'm happy for her because I think she was one of the goalkeepers I think at the start of the season I said I wanted to see more of she'd taken second fiddle to, to Mary Oates for so long at Man United and I just think for her to you know come off the back of you know not getting that much game time you know going from a squad like Bristol City where she was like just constantly constantly getting game time constantly being put in game scenarios all the time really difficult you know struggling squad going into Manchester United not having that experience and then going into Brighton where she's their starting keeper and then to have a game like that it was almost like a kind of like Man United goalkeeper head-to-head type situation yeah. it was like it was unreal and Mary Earps was pulling off some big stops as well but after like she was unreal against Chelsea mm-hmm. and then again she made a triple save again in that game against <sighs> Man United like you know we've been talking about England's goalkeeping you know queries worries mm-hmm. what a time to be absolutely performing big time for Bagley absolutely she could you know I'm going to go a Bagley for England it was a hold my beer fest at, oh yes at Bryson it was you know one Bagley save then Mary Epps was like please I've got this and then another Epps save then, and then Bagley was like please. I'll do I'll do three in a row yeah yeah absolutely and then Mary Epps was like okay last minute you know I'll just tall out a top binza okay whatever <laughs> and then at the end of it there was quite a nice little moment where they both hugged each other oh. and they looked like really like it was obviously a really respectful like um, yeah a little hug at the end which I really appreciated nice. but yeah I mean when we kind of look at how that game panned out, you know, Man United, it was hairy for Man United. Mm-hmm. Uh, JC, still not scoring. Not finding the back of the net. Despite chances, she hit the post. Um, yeah, I mean, she is fly- she's on flying form. We saw in the Champions League games, we thought, I, I thought she was the spiciest player, the most energetic, the most passionate player on the Man United squad. But she's still not getting that final finish. But that is something that we do see with new players coming in it still takes time still you know you're adjusting to a completely new league a completely new team completely new teammates um do we just think it's sort of a little you know new team rust yeah I think so and I think look she's also in a situation where it feels like the the more chances that go by the more frustrated she gets and Mm. the more chances then that continue to go by um I think perhaps I think Skinner could have switched Mallard into that position I think she's just a little bit more clinical um especially when you're two one down or you know, 1-1. One, one. 
Um, so yeah, I think she was struggling a little bit. But yeah, I think there is an element of finding her feet, right? And Absolutely. I think a little bit of an element of that with United at the moment too. I think JC is so good. The quality is clearly there that I don't think Man United are necessarily struggling to get over Russo. I think, you know, when they had the matchup, the Arsenal-Man United matchup, actually when it was a battle of the 23s, I think JC won it all day. Uh, and Russo's not really been on fire in form for Arsenal. So I don't think it's a case of, oh God, they've got second a second place um, mm. person there with, their, with, with JC. I think she's been... Amazing. Yeah, but yeah. And you've, you've got to factor in what make, made Alessia Russo so good at Man United was her partnerships with the players around her, particularly Absolutely. Alatoum, but also the players that knew her. And, you know, it takes time to build relationships as well. So it will get there. When you've got players like Galton playing so well, you know, Toon's now found the back of the net. So that could be a spark for her. Um, and I think it's one of those, like we saw with Sam Kerr when she came to the league, once you start finding the back of the net, it's a, it can be a little bit like floodgates open. Absolutely. So I think it's a matter of time. Well, a person who's not struggling to find the back of the net, Rachel Bloody Williams. Like, I just want to touch on her again because it's just, um, it is that kind of moment where you see her warming up and there's a sort of collective like, <sighs> here we go. Brilliant. God's sake. Remember uh, our WhatsApp chat during that and we're like, is it Rachel Williams? <laughs> <laughs> and you guys were behind me. <laughs> so funny. And you guys were still celebrating the Brighton goal. And I was like, oh God, oh God. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, just, it's classic. Um, and it was quite interesting actually, because she was in the, uh, the post-match interview with Sky afterwards. And they were saying, what have you got to do to make it into the Stars 11? Because you keep saving the day. You keep consistently scoring last minute winners to get Man United these much needed points. But she said, actually, she knows her role. She's happy with what she does. Can't like, save the day in the first 10 minutes. It's that. And also, um, I, does she have the fitness to do the whole thing? Actually, is it just you are sometimes just classified as an impact player? And Imagine she, a superhero arriving before the thing happens that you need to be saved from. That's pointless, isn't it? Oh, I see. She's like a bat, the Batman of Man yeah. United. And, and when things are going wrong, they put up the W into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on she comes. Uh, yeah, can't save the day in the first 10 minutes. Come on. She knows what she's doing. If I saw a W in the sky, though, I'd automatically be thinking Vigman. I'm like, she can't come on right now. But she could save the day. But she can always <laughs> save the day. <laughs> Right, let's give a big, big hand of hand of applause. Ha- hand of applause. A hand it's of a, a one-handed clap. <laughs> it's very quiet. Can you can it's you hear good, that? It's good next to a microphone. Love that. <laughs> Bristol City's first win. That was a slow clap. Then it was like yeah. this. <laughs> Sorry about that. Beans. Didn't mean didn't mean to be completely patronising about that at all. Uh, they got their first win of the season after beating West Ham three two. Um, I was there. It. it just um, you didn't know which way the pendulum was going to swing. Um, I mean, when West Ham took the lead in the 30th minute or so, uh, with the penalty for the uh, it was the handball, yeah. wasn't it? Um, and to me, it just looked like I think because of how we've seen Bristol City not pick up any points, they've sort of come close to getting a point, but then always not got there. It looked like an inevitable fifth loss on the bounce for me. I think I felt really pessimistic, but within five minutes, Thestrup steps up. Former West Ham player as well. It, it hurts a little bit more. Always hurts a bit more against your former club. Um, I mean, the goal, it was a great header, but I think Mackenzie Arnold wasn't too far away from it, but didn't manage to get a palm from it. It was very close range, but also, again, I'm going to blame the sun. The sun was directly in Mackenzie Arnold. Jeez, the sun was playing havoc this weekend, wasn't it? Well, you, you've got to take these things into account. Everyone, you know, you forget the elements sometimes when you're a non-goalkeeper. They're, they're, you know, the bounce of the pitch, the, the sun in your eyes, the rain, Slippy which ball. affects the speed of the ball. Mm. Like All these kind of environmental factors. You, you non-goalkeepers don't... Yeah, mm. Well, yeah, that can also play a factor on the weather conditions. So actually, 
Not a bad point from you. It's funny that you mentioned the word pendulum because that was the word I used when I was interviewing Rianne Skinner after the match because mm-hmm. it did feel like in that first half, the pendulum was swinging back and forth. I think West Ham started well, um, but they weren't creating enough and I, they weren't creative enough. Um, and I felt like they struggled to kind of problem solve mm-hmm. during the match. Um, but, you know, credit to Bristol, I think, that to go 2-1 up. Ella Powell, of all people, but it was Thestrup who tried for the acrobatic um, bicycle kick and Powell was there to, to put the ball home at the far post, um, which was great from her. But Ueki then getting, like, at the death of the, the first Oof. half, getting that, that equaliser. Talk and, me through this goal. Well, I'm sitting there at half time first of all, going, these two teams were, are basically the lowest scoring two teams in the league and here I am at a goal fest, mm-hmm. 2-2 at half time. <laughs> what is going on? Uh, very clinical from Ueki. Um, so yeah kind of like level the playing field going in at half time you just didn't really know who was going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and I think it got really scrappy in the second half it was a gutsy performance from Bristol um, they got their third goal came from a beautiful free kick from Megan Connolly who mm-hmm. I want to tip my hat to because I thought she had an excellent game despite giving away the penalty I feel like it was one of those ones where you're a bit like I don't know where her hands were supposed to go but it's a penalty mm-hmm. um, but she was you know sliding across goal lines making last ditch tackles um, doing a really good job defensively beautiful free kick um, and Aspen was the one who rose highest to, to put that in the back of the net and they had more chances West Ham Absolutely. they had a goal disallowed for offside uh, Harrison could have got a goal as well West Ham were desperate at the end um, trying to find the back of the net but again it was that creativity Bristol had more shots on target than West Ham ultimately yep. um, with 36% possession so it kind of tells you it was there was a real fight and determination from Bristol I think actually from the Arsenal game they took something from that. They took a real confidence from that, despite losing 2-1. And I thought maybe the international break was going to put a dampener on that confidence or that, you know, that form. Um, but no, it seems they, they were able to take that and say, you know, we need to fight for every single point in this league. Um, so when they went 3-2 up, it was like, we are not letting them get another goal. It's not going to happen. Too bloody right. I was really, really pleased with them. I mean, when I saw the uh, Ueki goal, the sort of, the, the way that it bounced and she was sandwiched in between the two defenders and hit it first time into the bottom right-hand corner, I just thought... So that, clinical. Yeah, it mm. was absolutely... It was a moment of beauty. Um, but yeah, I mean, the third goal for Bristol, I've got to be quite critical again. Uh, Goalkeeper-focused, Arnold. I mean... Sunshine? Not sunshine. Rain? Not rain. Wind? It sounds like that September song. <laughs> do, do, yeah. You hate me singing and yet you... Every time you line it up... Do you remember? <laughs> okay, stop. Go on, Arnold. It was Arnold kind of half came out for the um, the, the cross, kick, yeah, the cross that came in. Sort of half went out for it, and then sort of like half stepped back into it. But like she was so close to the header, didn't get to the header. So you've either got to go through that and punch the absolute crap out of it, or you've got to sit back on your line and, and give yourself half and half. It's that give yourself more reaction time to respond to the header. But mm. what she did was sort of you know step into the sort of melee and then just sort of stop. And then she looked really frustrated at everybody else. But I was like, no, you need to be doing better in that situation. But ultimately, I think that was a great result for Bristol City, who now are not in the relegation zone for the first time uh, this season. Who does sit in the relegation zone? Aston Villa. Yeah. After not picking up a single point in five games. They face Bristol this weekend in a kind of bottom of the table clash, if you will. Um, I mean, what do you... Fancy for chances here, given how Bristol seems to be on this sort of, you know, an upward, upward trajectory, yeah. and Villa can't seem to get themselves out of a very deep, dark hole. Who are we say? Put your flagpole in the sand for that one. Well, I'm going to say first, there's a Conti Cup game midweek. Yeah, Sheffield, Villa. Aston Villa. 
And I think that will play a big part on how this game against Bristol goes. Okay. If they pick up a win, if they win comfortably, if they, to be honest, if they just pick up a win, that could maybe change things for them. Um, I think at the moment, the lack of points is just seems to be stressing out the entire team. They were so poor against Chelsea as after the first two goals. So much of it was their own fault. Like Chelsea were just cutting through them like a hot knife through butter. To have three defenders on the score sheet, I think it was three defenders. You know, you've got to be asking questions there. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, a lot of it's going to come down to how that Sheffield game goes. Okay. And I think if they win, they will go in with confidence. Bristol are going to be confident. They're gritty. They're difficult to break down. Um, and I think Villa have been, you know, they need to be more clinical with the chances they're creating because early on in that Chelsea game, they were creating chances mm-hmm. and they weren't putting them away. So that's going to be key. Um, Rachel Daly's going to need to be on form. And she was absolutely everywhere in that Chelsea game. Mm-hmm. Like she was on the goal line blocking shots on goal and the first two goals came from second phases of play because the defenders are just watching like she made this great goal line clearance and then everyone just watched as Millie Bright put the ball in the back of the net Um, so yeah it's going to be a tough week for Villa and I think a crucial week for Villa depending on how these results go God, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the table as it is, so even if Villa pick up the points against Bristol City, chances are they will probably still remain in the relegation zone. Due to goal difference. Due to goal difference. Uh, Bristol City on uh, seven, Aston Villa on four. If Bristol City pick up a point from this game, at the moment, given how tight it is between eighth, ninth, tenth, um, they could end up going into eighth spot if West Ham, Brighton, Everton don't Mm. chase their points. So. Every single point matters. I think Bristol City really should be looking to get at least a draw out of this game to kind of cement themselves going into the sort of Christmas break. So that'd be a massive key for them. Following on from last week's show, uh, Martina Voss-Tecklenburg stepped down from her position as Germany's head coach with immediate effect on Saturday. Uh, It reportedly followed a meeting with her on Friday in which the team's performance at the World Cup was finally analysed. That sounds like after our show last week. (laughs) She stepped down, she listened and went, it's my time. (laughs) <laughs> we are now in a position out front where we influence women's football um, to this extent that we, you know, we can prompt and what become a catalyst for, um, you know, you know, national team coaches essentially stepping down from right. their positions. So, okay. um, watch out, guys. Were you expecting this? Because I bloody was. Yes. Um, I think after her taking leave and then her appearing at the Dental Association and the Housing Association <laughs> meetings in a really bizarre fashion and also not speaking to the squad about, you know, conducting a post-mortem about what had happened at the World Cup. And obviously players like, you know, big dogs like Oberdorf saying, you know what? we could probably do with a bit of reflection on what's happened this summer. Um, it kind of felt like it was sort of in, it was inevitable, really. Um, actually, yeah. I had to, you know, multi-source check those stories because I just felt like, am I reading one of those satirical newspapers where mm. it said she was at some dental association talk and various other things? But no, it was true. You're right. I think what made it worse as well is that we've gone straight into the Nations League. Like Germany are playing fixtures that matter. Um, they're in a arguably quite tricky group with Denmark. Um, so. For the, the for them not to address the World Cup before that mm. seems bizarre because you'd want to be like, look, we want to qualify. We need to figure out what the hell went wrong so we can put it right and make sure that, you know, we're doing well in the Nation's League. What and it does do happen. is give a big opportunity for those who didn't get the US Women's National Team post to take a slightly lesser well, look, profile job, but still a massive big job, job at the German National Team. That's a big job. So maybe we'll see Tony going over there. Maybe. Who knows? Or Joe's, can know. I just say I was devil that Emma Hayes didn't go to Ireland. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Speaking of huge international roles that are available, raging. Could you imagine? Oh my god, that would have just been unreal. But anyway, that would I. 
the response to that would have been alarming. Hilarious. Alarm bells. Thank you so much for, to for, for to listening. For to listening to today's not episode. The accent again, Ellie. <laughs> Come on. Where, where are we this week? Where are you headed? Oh God, it gets worse and worse. Uh, I've got a couple of Conti Cup games Lovely. this week, uh, and then I am doing Manchester City at the weekend. Um, so that'll be a good one. I'm looking forward to that. And then, so, not finished. Oh, sorry, sorry. Jesus sorry. Christ. <laughs> and then I'm going down to Leicester on the way home and doing Leicester Arsenal. Oh, lovely. I think that's going to be a tasty little fixture, mm. actually. I'm expecting, big take, a draw. I'm expecting Willie to go like 3-2-2-3 three, two, two, three again or some bizarre dumbbell formation. And, and two at the back. Jonas Eidvold to be like, 7-1-2, let's just put all <laughs> the forwards on. <laughs> be like, what are we watching? Tactically, it's going to be a mess yeah. is what that game is going to be. Or amazing. Or that, yeah. But I do think there's going to be a few goals in it, but I do think it's going to be a draw. I, yeah, that. I... I, I, yeah, I rate what Leicester are doing at the moment. Um, right, uh, I'm going to be on Sunday. I'm going to be at home. I'm going to be across all the WSL games, which is going to be amazing because I do like a taste little Sunday. If you've got like a 12 o'clock or one o'clock, you've got, I need to get multiple Six screens, TVs yeah. um, just set up in around my flat. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a big week. So maybe we'll have a, a slightly quieter week this week. Um, I can't believe you've actually said that because you know when you ask for a quiet week in anything, I've just tempted fate, haven't yeah. I? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, next week's episode is going to be amazing. Well, I mean, there's already some big questions that are kind of overhanging at the moment. It's sort of, you know, who's going to provide Lauren James with Murray Mints uh, once Emma goes? Will she have to make... Will she send Jolly Ranchers to Listen, Lauren James from abroad? I have experience in A delivering Lauren James Murray Mints. So if I have to take up that mantle, then you I will. am happy to do it. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. Uh, and we are generally at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at Upfront pod. See you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 